0: Welcome back to our Lancaster School District podcast, School Buzz. Uh, The purpose of our podcast is to discuss relevant topics, and I don't think anything is more relevant than our topic today, which is school safety. I'm your host, Rebecca Cooksey, and I have with me Jenny Sampson, and she's going to tell me her title because I know it's super long. And give me a little short bio about yourself. Okay. Um, First of all, thank you for having me. I'm Jenny Sampson. I'm the coordinator of Climate... School safety and emergency management, the longest title in the district, believe it or not. That's why I let you say it instead of me saying it. (laughs) (laughs) That makes total sense. Um, I was a classroom teacher for 16 years in the Lancaster School District. I taught fourth, fifth, sixth grade combination classes at both Desert View and Monta Vista. About 2013, I became the teacher on special assignment for safety and wellness. Uh, and I've had a passion for safety and emer- emergency management for probably since nine eleven. actually. Oh, right. That was the impetus for me really, really diving into emergency management and learning as much as I could about first responders and how they function. Now, where are you getting your education on this? Um, a lot of it is actually online. Okay. Um, FEMA has uh, independent study courses that you can take. They range from one to 12 hours depending on the course. Um, it's. I've also volunteered for the Red Cross for a number of years as a government liaison so I usually work in the incident command post pretty much for fires and floods and a whole range of things. I was involved with the com- community emergency response team which is CERT. Um, I'm still somewhat affiliated with them. I'm an instructor but with my busy schedule it's really hard for me to make their meetings now so i've kind of had to pull away from that yeah well great i I thought you were getting a doctorate in this subject um i had to put that on hold for a while but yes that is my plan after i finish my um clearing my administrative credential i will go back to my doctorate program can't do two at the same time oh my gosh not (laughs) not even close yeah i wouldn't imagine you could do that all right so uh, we had an incident just this week, an active shooter that was shooting at a sheriff deputy, and we had to lock down here at the district office. Talk us through what happens when there's an emergency. What are the steps that happen in the school district? Well, the primary step is getting people where they need to be so that everybody is safe. We're We're not just talking about students and staff, but we're also making sure that we have everybody accounted for, including visitors to our campuses. Um, historically, schools have not been real good about accounting for visitors, and they we've gotten much better about that because we have had instances where visitors have been on campus and not been accounted for. So we realized that that was a problem. We fixed that problem since then. Um, once everybody is secure and safe, we take the time to contact families as soon as we can. It's really important that we let her know that the kids are safe, right. our staff is safe, and make sure that they don't come to school to find out what's happening because that puts everybody in jeopardy. The parent, the staff, everybody. Right, because they can't let you in. Correct. And if the parents standing outside and there's something that we need to be inside for. Absolutely. Um, that just makes it more dangerous. Right. And you know we, we do get parents upset with us because when they're visiting our campus and we're in a lockdown, we can't let them leave either. Right. <laughs> so, and, and we have staff that they look, they look at their watch and they say, oh, well, I'm off. I, I can leave. Well, not during a lockdown you can't. It's for your safety that we keep you in the school, locked down in a secure room so that nothing happens to you. That's happened to me. I've been visiting a site, and suddenly they're locked down. I thought, "Oh darn it!" Yes, it's like <laughs> darn. I had so much to do, and now I'm not you getting undone. Stay here yes, for a while, absolutely. And, and even this week, when when it was four thirty, and the staff was ready to go, and they were like picking up their keys, I'm like. No, <laughs> we have not gotten right. all yet, so that yeah, I don't, we don't see anything, we don't hear anything, right. but we just have to be right as safe as possible. And we are in communication with law enforcement throughout the lockdown process, so it's not like they call a lockdown and then leave us to our own devices. We have three school deputies that are very, very good at their jobs, and they keep us informed, and they make sure that we're safe, and we have... Um, that they keep us in communication so we know what's going on. Well, I know that we are, our superintendent tends to be overly cautious and make sure Mm -hmm. that if there's a danger, we're going to be taking better precautions than just kind of being laissez-faire about stuff. Absolutely. We're all, for the most part, proactive, and we try to think ahead about what's going to be, what are the implications of the lockdown, will we be in lockdown for dismissal or arrival potentially. So we have to consider all the factors. A lot of schools were in the process of dismissing Mm -hmm. when the news about the deputy being shot came out. So we had to formulate a plan very quickly to intercept the students that live in that area that was being contained. It was a very challenging time. Um, Our deputies were very busy and scrambling to get things, get information and and take care of the situation, but um, we had kids who had already been released to walk home, and so we were intercepting kids and trying to get them to an appropriate shelter so that they were safe. And that's tough to do with middle school it kids. It sure is. <laughs> no, you know I'm going home. Now. Yes, it is exactly. So uh, not this time. So, but we worked really well with our partners. The best agency has a great emergency plan as a result of the Highland shooting. Um, They put a plan together and they've been working with the schools to make sure that if we have an incident when kids are already on the bus and they can't get to their destination, they are routed to a high school where they will be housed with with the high schools in agreement so that they are in a safe place. We send staff to that facility to help care for the students and the high school district was wonderful and very accommodating during this issue. And and they were, because I ha- I was with Mike Choate at Mariposa, and there was mm-hmm. a little girl whose mother was in that apartment building yes. and couldn't get out. Correct. Didn't have another family member that could pick her up, so we were hanging out with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to A.B. High School, because that was the reunification site, yes. and you know, hang- hung out with her. But the high school district was fabulous about just making they sure we sure had were. food, we had things to eat. Mm-hmm. They actually toys to play with, you know. When Wonderful. There. So yeah, they were. They That's had a great. Good shout out. Yes, definitely. So, what do you do to support schools um, for safety? Wow, there's a <laughs> lot. Um, <laughs> well, I work with each of the school sites to make sure that first of all they have their security procedures in place and are being followed. That's a really important piece of my job is to make sure that every staff member is following our security procedures and policies. We have a locked and closed door policy for classes because um, when I went through the after action report of Sandy Hook, the two classrooms were it, that were entered were the ones that were unlocked. Mm-hmm. So that's when that policy went into place is to make sure that um, we won't always know when an intruder is on our campus until something happens. Exactly. We, we are very vigilant and mindful, but, you know, things happen and people slip through the cracks, unfortunately. So locked and closed doors when children are in class is the best practice. And so we're, we're really vigilant about keeping that um, in place and, you know, making sure our teachers are following that because anything can happen. And it's true. And, and most of our staff, whenever I've gone out to visit schools, they're all doing that. I kind of hate that policy because I can't get into classrooms and they gave yes. me a master key, which doesn't open anything. It's a master key, nothing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but uh, when I go to classes, the classroom yes. doors are closed and you have to knock them, you know, mm-hmm. and get in or walk right. with the principal and they've got a key. Right. So I see that people are doing that. Right. Well, that's a great thing because sometimes, you know, I will go to a site and, you know, a door will be ajar or um, I'll pull on a handle and it'll just pop open. So I'll say, you know, that's a work order. Yeah. And, and a, sometimes the, they don't know that, you know, it should lock securely and not be able to be pulled open. So if if doors are like that, then that needs to be a work order so that gets fixed because that's a fixable problem. Now, does every school have their own plan for an emergency? Yes, every school has their own safe school plan. Um, There are certain elements that the state of California requires to be in it. For example, the child abuse policy and reporting procedures, um, a variety of other procedures, their school rules and um, how they handle the facilities management type things. But we also have a section in there dedicated toward emergency um, protocols. So, and we have we have standardized most of the protocols so that no matter what school you're at, everything means the same. We use the same terminology. We have the same general um, practices so that no matter what school you're at, if we say lockdown over the loudspeaker, everybody knows lock the doors and lockdown. Right. Instead of like a cold red or right. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's something that we've had um, not we personally, but. You know, after action reviews from other schools who have had major issues, the code systems were confusing Right. because, you know, when you have substitutes and you throw out code yellow, substitutes don't necessarily know what that means. Exactly. So, and one code system is different from another code system. So they discovered that through trial and error, unfortunately, they discovered that plain language with clear direction is the best practice. So that's why we've done away with the code blue terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do receive some of the reports with that <laughs> phrase in it, which is one of my pet peeves, but- um, So stop that. <laughs> yes, please stop that. It's not a code blue, it's a lockdown. Um, but you know, we, we tell people that it's really important to understand what the protective action we must take is. Right. And that's why we use plain language. Now, when I was a principal, we would always do a disaster drill like yeah. Earthquake drill. Uh, that was one of my my favorite ones to run because what I would do is I would give a couple of kids that I trusted an envelope and say open this at a certain time and it would tell them go and sit in the library behind the desk mm-hmm. or go and stay in the bathroom until someone finds you right um, which was fun because staff would come well everybody's accounted for I'm like Really? No, they're not. <laughs> really? But do we still do those, those kind yes. of drills? Um, I used to love to do those myself at Monte Vista. And the teachers would, I think I drove them insane. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but they, they learned from it. And so um, it's a valuable thing to have a child just sort of disappear during a drill so that they are found. Even during fire drills, that might be a good thing way to practice because you know fire drills are a little more pressing right because if there is a fire on campus and you have a missing student you have to find that student really quickly those types of things are really helpful because you learn a lot from them. Mm-hmm. You really do. I encourage our safety committee representatives to get creative with some of their drills. And some of them, they take on that challenge and they run. <laughs> and it makes it more fun because they yes. realize it's you know kids love to help with those oh, kind of things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But the point of drills is not just practice procedures. The point of drills is to um, is to throw in elements so that the unexpected happens, and then you learn from it. So when a real incident occurs, you know how to respond appropriately. And and that is so true, because when I was a principal on campus once, it was during lunch, Mm -hmm. and one of the new mediates called and said, there's a mountain line, because we were close to the mountains. There's a mountain line close to the campus. Like, oh, my goodness, okay, lockdown, got everybody in classes, Mm -hmm. got everybody cleared. When it was time for other people to have lunch, they decided it was time for their lunch, and they came. I'm like, no, no. Lock down. It, I don't right. Lunches, and then we found out when I spoke to her. I said, "So tell me about the cat and where, which way it was going." She goes, "Well, it was black, black. black. No, and it was about this big." I'm like, "Oh my gosh! Did you lock us down for a cat?" And it did. It turned out to be a cat that oh. she locked us down for. Better safe than <laughs> <That's> sorry. <right. laughs> but what we learned from that is right. we did not know how to lock down during lunch. Right. So there were several times then that next year that we did a drill during lunch. Absolutely. And and we try to encourage that because it's when you do it at the same time every time that no learning can occur. So by challenging yourself during recesses and lunches, and I know teachers really hate that. I know. <laughs> they really hate that because I was one of them, but it's necessary. We have to learn what we don't know and, and have those points of failure to learn from. And we had, I'm... Um, we have points of failure that we're still working on as a district. So um, Right, yeah. I would imagine that if it was happening right as we were dismissing children, yes. like you said, when the kids are walking home, mm-hmm. that would be a really tough one because it was challenged. Families are there, mm-hmm. kids are leaving, they're like right men, you know. Right. And and we were mostly concerned about the kids that walk from Monta Vista to that containment area. Right. So that was our biggest concern was how are we gonna get those kids and you know, make sure that they're safe because the containment area was growing as yeah, as the afternoon yeah. progressed. So, um, yeah, it was it was a challenge. So we we realized that fortunately somebody was catching them somewhere because we weren't seeing children walking from that area. Well, good. So somebody was holding on to them somewhere. So that was a blessing. Well, good. Um, now we have a new raptor system. Yes, ma'am. Tell me about that. The Raptor system is a visitor management system that checks the identification. It serves two purposes, actually. The first purpose is um, we, have, we have to know who's on our campuses in this day and age. We have to know who's coming on, and we have to know if they have a hist- history of um, sexual offense. So we, we have this Raptor system, first of all, to check for that that thing, because we don't want people wandering around our campus unsupervised who don't belong there. So the Raptor system will read the identification of each visitor. It captures the picture, the first name, the last name, and the birth date. That's all the information that it captures. And then it compares the information on that identification to the sex offender registry. Okay. All 50 states. It's not just the California Sex Offender Registry. It's all 50 states. Um, most of the time, and we've, we've been using it a couple weeks now, and we really haven't had any matches to speak of, mm-hmm. um, So most of the time, everything will be fine and, you know, the parent's good to go. It prints a badge with their picture on it, their name, their destination, the date, um, and all this wonderful information so that our staff knows when a parent is visiting Where they're supposed to go, um, and and that they're actually there on that date, and that's that's a good thing. So that date is right there. Yes, absolutely. As well as the destination where they're going to, because it was time consuming to walk every parent to their destination, and not that we aren't doing that anymore, because we still are. It's just you know we've made sure that they are who they are. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So the second purpose of the Raptor system is. When we have visitors on campus, if we were to have, let's say, a major disaster like an earthquake, we will have an up-to-date list of who's on our campus that we might need to search for. So the accounting of the visitors is huge. This is a big step forward for us because in the past we've had to bring out the visitor log books with us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you cannot read what they've written. That's very true. And so you're looking for this person, and you might not even know what their name is, but you know they're on campus. Mm-hmm. So um, that it's a beautiful snapshot of who's on campus, who do we ne- need to account for at any given moment. So in that visitor log, if there was an emergency, would it print it out with the person's picture? So you could throw, yes, oh, yes. that's that guy. <laughs> yes, okay. it, it does. The, the badge prints out the, the person's picture so that you can make sure that the person standing in front of you is the person checked in. Okay. Because one of the things that other schools have found that have used other systems is that a parent will walk out and they'll just pass their badge off to somebody walking in. Oh. And we don't want that to happen, you know. And we do have a procedure in place where the badge is collected once the parent leaves. Mm-hmm. So as they leave, the badge is collected and shredded so that it can't be used again. Even though it's dated, you never know. Right. So now you said that this checks on the sex offender registry yes. across all 50 states. Yes. Does it look for like DUIs and no. misdemeanors? No. Or just sex offenders. Just sex offenders. It doesn't look at any criminal history. It's not tied to any other database other than the sex offender registry. If you're looking at DUIs, that's through law enforcement registry. Right. And it's not tied to anything else other than that sex offender registry we are not giving access to anybody but our internal staff. And that information doesn't go anywhere. So, but the nice thing about the system is the, the small amount of data that it captures. If you forget your ID at home, for some reason it's an emergency and you need to pick up your child. If the parent forgets their ID, they can say, oh, I'm already in the system and they can spell it for them and they can bring it up and see the picture from the license that's and make good. sure that the person standing in front of them is that person but they have to first be in the system yes they first have to be in the system and once you're in the system at one school you're in the system for all of our oh, that's nice okay so that's why we offer a um, pre-registration if you register through the welcome and wellness center mm-hmm. they can ask to be pre-registered and they just scan their id right then and there and then when they go to a school to pick up their child or whatever they're doing volunteering in the classroom they can just give them their name and their their information will come up and the badge will print the same that's great now what if i was a parent at let's say mariposa and i just wanted to come in and do the registration with Mm -hmm. my license could i do that absolutely okay yeah yeah they can go anywhere but you know as people are enrolling their children at welcome and wellness center it's a great idea just to offer that service exactly so that they're already in the system and can expedite the process a little bit now, what if I don't have a California um, driver's um, license? It also accepts military ID. Okay. Um, the passport card works as well. I've actually been the guinea pig at a couple of our sites, and I've <laughs> used multiple IDs. They've used my military ID. Military ID works. And um, the consular cards work as well. Okay. okay. So, And if they have other forms of identification because they don't have any of those, um, there's information on our website about where to go to get an ID, um, and we and at the discretion of the administrator, if they have none of those forms, we can do it. Uh, we can accommodate a different in a different manner. Okay, well, very good. So, what do schools do to prepare for a natural disaster compared to a criminal activity? What are the differences between those two? Well, actually, there's a lot of overlap. Um, when you're preparing for um, natural disasters there's a lot of overlap with the criminal activity prevention so there, there are differences the criminal activities is more prevention based so you're you' it's security and hardening the the facility and making sure people are following the directives of locked and closed doors and reporting what they see that's suspicious those are all preparations and preventing criminal acts, um, preparedness is a little bit different. It's focused on an all hazards approach, which is why we don't really prepare specifically for, you know, a flood versus a hurricane, because, you know, there there's a lot of overlap there. Okay. So preparedness is more about knowing what to do during the different types of disasters, how to take protective action. But again, you have protective action when you have criminal acts, too. Right. So, again, there's a lot of overlap, Um, but the primary difference, I think, is um, it's probably just making sure you have supplies on hand Mm -hmm. and making sure that everybody knows how to react should something happen. Right. So So our schools are prepared, like, if kids had to stay there, Mm -hmm. um, like, let's say there was an earthquake and parents couldn't get back to them. Yes do we have the supplies to feed them and we do we have that we don't have an exhaust an exhaustive supply (laughs) obviously but um and a lot of parents because they work in the valley will be able to get their kids Mm -hmm. but for the ones that we that you know their parents are might be trapped down below or whatever in la we do have supplies at every school in what we call a connex container we have plenty of water we've just replenished our water supply Um, So honestly, um, we the 55-gallon blue barrels, Uh which are up for a um, replenishment this year, but um, we have classroom water to draw from as well. We have cans of water that we've just replaced, and every class has water. So we have more than enough water. We do have food. We have um, our CNS cafeteria workers who will be thinking about those things because well that's their area right and they they have a plan is my understanding for feeding the children that don't get picked up so. and they've got that big huge absolutely freezer. So they've got food for absolutely a while. <laughs> absolutely and we can trust them to take care of us. oh definitely <laughs> and um there, we work with our partner agencies. We have a great relationship with the city of Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So um, we will always have a representative in their emergency operation center should a community-wide disaster occur so that we have communication with the city and the city feeds up to the county and the county feeds up to the state and the state feeds up to the feds. So there's a constant flow of communication. So if our valley needs has needs... That information can be pushed to the appropriate party so that eventually somebody will be able to help bring in supplies. That's great. So, I know we had this um, emergency this week. Yes. We have children in an after school program, the CARES yes. program. And our director, Jane Dannett, communicated with the city, and they were prepared to bring cots, blankets, food, what stayed with the kids as long as they needed to. Now, no one needed us to stay, parents got, were able to pick up their kids, but they had that already in place. Absolutely and we're ready to go absolutely and the city is a great partner they they do they don't have exhaustive resources either (laughs) but they do have a lot of resources that we can draw from in an emergency and the city emergency manager Andrew Noga he's working very closely with me to make sure that our schools have what they need when they need it so we also have a partnership with the Red Cross Barbara Mariscal, she's a great resource Um, they, the Red Cross, had set up an evacuation center at AV High School, where the bus kids had been dropped off with us. And in another part of, they had the evacuation center, so they were a resource as well. Right. We have a great collaboration. We have Red Cross coming in to deliver um, emergency preparedness presentations to our children too. Well, so it's then. a great, great partnership. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It just happened to be that we scheduled this a while ago, and it worked out perfectly. Sure did. Um, We want to give a community shout-out to the MOA Discover Trunks. They're from the museum, and they'll come out to the classroom and do presentations. They've got presentations on ancient Egyptians, California missions, Ice Age. Uh, This is free for teachers in school, so take advantage of this uh, resource because it's uh, a great one. So where can you find this podcast? You can find it on iTunes, on Sprecher, on SoundCloud. we have got it on the district website. Um, Subscribe to us and they'll just come automatically to you. So our our topic for our next episode is Title I, and we'll have Cindy Queen and Erie Robinson coming to talk about that. Please listen to our kids from Sierra singing Simple Truths.